Yeah, this is LP. You're now tuned in to Tissue and the Tape. Respect the heat holders. Salute. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Like we always do about this time. Oh, this is Tissue and the Tape. Respect heat holders. Respect heat holders. People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Phil Maddox, Davis Backwards, Gandhi, Hip Hop 365. You know the time, it's the tissue and the tape Adjust my tally and twine and design the great metaphors at a rate like cosplay Don't need conventions to display my conviction upon date MCs I rhythm and bit them peace like Gandhi Four seat at the table getting meals to lounge eight No hunger strikes for kicks in tight spaces Just sick lyrics to elevate and physically separates us You can debate us but get your weight up We'll wait and meditate since we are great with patience What's the diagnosis? We are great with patience and pop is contagious Worldwide but you're racist Back with Davis, filled, there's no basis. Cause tissue in the tape makes America the greatest. From beatboxing on slave ships, till we six feet in a box in a grave dip, we raise this culture. culture. Born to debone these vultures, picking the brains of the youth, mumbling that insults us. I post up with the rap radar that gets me vexed when he uplift trash like Charles S. That's complex. Wait, I can read between the lines, it's not hate to suggest they don't need to rhyme. We just take it back. I'd rather choose to be wrong when heat holders in the back of the twines and defense the bond. Jack's Beastly, Native Son, it's the faculty first. Uh. Phil, we got a special guest, special edition of Tissue on the Tape tonight, man. Yeah, yeah. So it's not every day that we get a chance to uh, speak to people of uh, such esteemed uh, uh, levels of just greatness, man. Yeah, yeah, man. man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we got we got a uh, we got an official uh, hip hop renaissance man in the house, man. We we talking about writing, yeah, MCing. Yeah. Oh, did, did I mention uh, he's a lawyer and a teacher? Yo, he, um, more more jobs than our homie Torrey, man. <laughs> Torrey, yeah, man. Yeah, Torrey. But yeah, and without any further ado, Phil Maddox, who who are we introducing to our show tonight? Uh, we as I mentioned, man, we're, we're talking to an attorney, a professor, a hip hop artist, uh, a writer. Uh, you, he's written for the Huff Post. Uh, he's uh got props from uh Sway from EPMD. Um, all these things, and it's all in the name of culture conservation. The culture I'm talking about, of course, is hip hop. And the gentleman I'm talking about is Mr. Timothy Welbeck, ESQ. So you know it's real. <laughs> real, man. Thanks for having me on, man. Guys, it's good to be here. No doubt, man. Uh, let's let's just start out and just say uh, again, thank you for uh, connecting with us. Uh, we're looking forward to just letting you know our audience know who you are to get a better idea of the things that you have going on, man. Um, thank you for your time. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's it's, it's great to be here. It's, it's a great opportunity. You two are doing great work here. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, Phil, uh, start it off, man. You know how we do when we have a guest, man. Yeah, man. Um, I I need to know. Uh, we're, we're we're big fans of the Marvel universe. Um, and, okay. and we and we typically love the origin story. So so in um 
in other words, how did you uh get bit by that radioactive spider? What gave you your your superpowers for this culture, uh, for this thing of ours called hip hop? Yeah, I'll try to keep it brief, man. Like my parents' introduction to hip hop was with Two Live Crew, and so like just to kind of show you how old I am. So um, I would think I was in elementary school when the controversy with them going to federal court was like in, in it, at its peak. And so my mom asked a coworker, is their music that bad? And like to show you how long ago it was, my mom's coworker brought a cassette of the album, Nasty As I Want To Be The Next Day To Work. And my mom listened to it on her lunch break. And she came home and told my dad, if this is hip hop, Timothy and Catherine, that's my little sister. She said, they ain't listening to that. And so, um, <laughs> And so like for years, I was basically just listening to my parents' music. So like Aretha Franklin, Marvin Gaye, uh, Michael Jackson, James Brown, Booker T and the MGs, Wilson Pickett, okay. like that. Soul music. Yeah, basically soul music, gospel music, um, a little bit of jazz sprinkled in there, stuff like that. And then like when I became a teenager, my parents gave me some autonomy. So you can kind of do what you want to do, listen to a little bit more stuff. And my cousin came to visit around that time and she found a hip hop station and I heard hip hop and I was like, what is this? And like, I fell in love. And as I started listening to it more closely, I started realizing like I was hearing my parents' music in the music that I had come to love and like the music of my generation. So I felt an even deeper connection to it. Cause I'd be listening to it and my dad's like, that's just James Brown. Or, you know, that's just like, you know, so-and-so and like he was, he was hearing the samples and I was hearing like this vibrant culture. And then it's like, I started writing like a year and a half later and so, and just, I basically, I started rapping and just never stopped. I went to college, kept rapping. Uh, I went to law school, kept rapping. And then like I graduated law school, started working for this firm. Uh, and then this is like during a recession. So I got let go from my firm position. And I kind of bounced around a little bit. And like one, one of those times that I was at a layoff, I was, I was, I had just recently experienced a layoff. A friend was like, hey, I heard about you. I heard about the work that you do. Um, can you teach this class at Temple? And I was like, what's the class called? And he said, hip hop and black culture. And I almost fell out of my seat. I was like, you mean like I can teach a hip hop class at a university? And he said, yeah. So he got me a meeting with the department chair. And so I interviewed there and the, the department chair was like, yeah, you got the gig. And so like, I've been teaching hip hop uh, at Temple University, hip hop and black culture. I've been doing that since 2011. Um, still do music here and there and like that's really kind of how all of these things began coming together like that dope so 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 you so you said you you got in um your uh, a family member kind of introduced you to hip-hop after your your parents gave you that that bit of freedom yeah um, what, what what time frame are we talking about but this is like nine some somewhere around like 94 95 okay. like, I'm like I have like an active memory of hearing hip-hop. And that's then, our, that's our wheelhouse, man. That's that's that's, that's where I'm a Viking at. Yeah, that that was me, and like, and so I spent like the next like two three years like trying to find anything that was current, and then also like catching up on the stuff that I had missed. And so, um, and so like my early introduction was like Big and Dre, Pop, Nas, and then I was living in the Atlanta area, so Outkast was really starting to bubble in the city. And so like I got to watch them grow from like a local phenomenon to like international superstars. Fuji's mm -hmm. are ascending, Jay is beginning to step into his own. And then like you got all of these groups in between. And so like I was like, this is this culture is it's amazing, it's breathtaking, it's vibrant. Um, and so like I just I, I, I was bitten. That's like you say, it was a radioactive spider that got me. No doubt. Um <clears throat> so where does that lead you? Had you always been um like even even when you weren't actually into hip hop 
so to speak, like what was your first love? Was it sports? Was it writing? Like what what did you do uh, growing up? So like I've always like had interest in art. So like I was drawing before I could write. Okay. So I was really big into visual arts, and so for a while I wanted to do that, and so I, I was big on that. And then I I didn't really realize like or like understand that I had a gift to write until I got asked by a teacher to be in an advanced like composition class for in middle school. Yeah. And my teachers noticed she said you have an ability to do this. And so between that and the visual arts, I, st I had an affinity towards literature um, and then like doing doing art, doing literature, things like that. I mean, I love sports too. I just like, I'm not that good. <laughs> so, like I love, I love basketball and like, I like to play when I get a chance, but like I went to law school for a reason. I'm not NBA material. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Um, <clears throat> so uh, like you said, uh, Atlanta, man, just, just looking at it now, uh, like you said, just watching, um, outcasts grow up and become, like you said, international superstars. And then just uh, just seeing where Atlanta is now, where it essentially is like the epicenter of, of a lot of <laughs> things that pertain yeah. to, to hip hop. How, how does that, you know, like, did you ever think that would happen? Because with, with Phil and I, I'm, you know, I grew up in Virginia, Phil grew up in Philly. Yeah. And, you know, of course, um, being on the East Coast, you know, New York still was so uh, dominant just from everything kind of starting there. And, um, you know, if if you're not from there, you know, you you would always just think that, you know, in order to get on or in order for you to really make your mark, you had to be in New York. And then now that's not the case now. Did you ever think that Atlanta would, would somewhat like s surpass New York and kind of surplant New York as like the, the center of hip hop in a sense? I never thought so when I first started listening. It, and like you said, New York was the epicenter. And particularly, like I said, when I came on, like Nas was at his peak, Big was alive and he was peaking, Jay was peaking. And so like, so many of like the flagship artists, the, the notable acts were based in New York or trying to emulate that New York sound. And so I didn't I didn't think that was gonna happen. And uh, Killer Mike recently was talking about when Andre said that South got something to say at the Source Awards, I think it was mm -hmm. 95. Yep became a watershed moment for legitimizing the music that was happening in the South and we could like make hip hop that was authentic to us and it still be dope and be recognized. And I think in many ways that encapsulated like what was happening, but I still don't think anybody anticipated it would happen like that. But for me, I think I started noticing like around 2004 that the industry's ear had turned to Atlanta because Outkast went diamond with speaker box love below. Usher was killing it with confessions. Ludacris was still going platinum. T.I. was doing this thing. Yeah. C.A. came along and went platinum. And so you had all of these signature acts, Little John, uh, Yin Yang Twins. Like so many of these different people were going platinum in that era. And so that shifted things, but it wasn't until it was sustained that I was like, this thing has happened. And like, you know, I'm starting to hear guys from like the East Coast sounding like guys from Atlanta. Yeah. I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is a real thing. And like, especially because I live in Philly now, like when I moved to Philly and I heard guys in Philly trying to rap like guys in Atlanta, I was like, wait, what's that? Like we used yeah. to go around, we used to like have to rap like- the other way around. <laughs> we got to rap like y'all to get people's attention, like, uh, and make and for people to like take us seriously as lyricists and stuff like that. Like now, like y'all are like em emulating our cadences, you're using our type of style of beats, uh, even like jocking our slang and stuff like that. It, it was mind boggling. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It, it, it definitely had to be like like uh, like like a, a, a crazy juxtaposition from 
from especially from the time when you really got into hip hop, where like, as you said, it was so East Coast dominant yes. at that particular point in time. To you know, you know, basically ten years later, it's completely the opposite. You know, you know, even though you still have stars in in the uh, the Northeast and in New York. A lot of the music and the slang and the just the general sound and feeling of the music is is ex- extreme influence from uh, Atlanta in the South. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it's it's remarkable just even thinking about like because what I what the way I look at it is the people that I came up listening to they taught me what hip hop was, what to expect, what, what quality was, what the pursuit of excellence was like, what the culture looked like authentically. And in many ways, like what's happening now, like a lot of the kids, they're hearing, they're hearing like this Atlanta influence and that's teaching them how to rap. Mm-hmm. Like, like using these rhythms, using these cadences, using these trap beats, like that's the culture to them. And at times it's like about the vibe, it's about the feel, it's about the mood, it's about generating this feel behind the music and not necessarily about these other characteristics and people are even losing context for why the music sounds that way. I've seen that a lot with like, especially like some of these younger MCs, it's just like, oh, like, this is the flow that's hot, or this is the sound that's hot. Can I imitate that? Yeah. And, and kind of move in that direction. I'm running and kicking and jumping and, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man. So, tell us about your class that you teach. Like, what, what, yeah, what man, that, some that, of that, the that, things that you cover? Because I, I know I would have been first in line to, sign up for a class like that. Y'all, yeah. I'm welcome whenever you want to. Uh, I teach two hip hop related courses at Temple. The most uh, popular. I don't don't say that because I'll be on uh, <laughs> I'll be on 13 with a with a with a notepad and uh, we start on Tuesday of next week. I'm I'm serious. Like I'll email you the class schedule. You're welcome to come through. Okay. Um, right. So um so I teach two classes. The first is called hip hop and black culture and we look at that at that class covers hip hop as a microcosm of the black experience. It covers hip hop and the culture authentically. What does that mean? And we divide that into three thirds. The first third, we look at, look at hip hop as an African derived aesthetic. So we look at hip hop and African cultural retentions, the stuff that we do in hip hop that Africans have been doing for centuries. So we look at that. And in that section, we also look at how hip hop evolved from black music in America. So we go spirituals, ragtime, blues, jazz, soul, rock, reggae. Hip hop, and then so we do that, and then the second third we do hip hop history. So we start like 1973. Sometimes I go a little bit before to tell them what the Bronx was like before who her through that party, and gotcha. we were the sister. And then usually like we'll go from 73 to like mid 90s, and I and just like hip hop history, like the ins and outs. This is how the culture formed. This is how it gained the infrastructure. These are some of the notable names, some of their influences, stuff like that. And then the last third, we do topical discussion. So we look at hip hop's response to police brutality, hip hop's response to mass incarceration, hip hop's portrayal of women, hip hop's um, depiction of spirituality, uh, hip hop and cultural, cultural appropriation. So like we do a lot of that. And then that last third, we also bring in guests too. So um, Wyclef has come through, um, Lecrae has come through, Chill Moody comes every semester, Sky Zeus comes twice, um, Mir Fontaine has come by. Um, nice. Scott, Scott, that's one of our our favorite uh, guys, man. He's been he's been with us a couple times as well. No, um, a fun fact, uh, he knows us now. Um, he got his name from my father in law's group, Sky. They were an R and B funk band in Brooklyn, uh, and they had a song called Sky Zoo. And apparently, like Sky, you know, his his name is Skyler. Yes, 
Skyler, and uh, people were already calling him Sky. And then uh, his aunts are big fans of the group, and so like, uh, so like he was hearing a lot of their records coming up and stuff like that. But yeah, that's my father-in-law. He was the wow singer and, ba- and uh, guitar player for the group. Nice, uh, totally cool. Nice. Wow. Um, so you, so you, you got, so you got a little bit of like music background too. Uh, were you able to kind of can. Um, combine your writing skills, I guess, to, to take it to that to that level in terms of um, like how did you get into emceeing, I guess, and making oh, man. music. So like for me, so the, for, you're right. For me, the music starts with like classical piano. Like my mom was like, I want you to play an instrument. And at first, I'm like, what, uh, at first she was like, What do you want to play? And I was like, I want to play the drums. She's like, That's too loud. <laughs> and then I was like, and then I was like, Well, I want to play the trumpet. And then she's like, Well, like your jaws are like Dizzy Gillespie's. So I don't want you to do that either. And then I was like, okay. And then I was like, I want to play the saxophone. She's like, every little black boy plays the saxophone. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, mama, what you want me to play? And so like, she already had me in piano lessons. And then she's like, I want you to play the violin. You never see little black boys playing the violin. And so um, so she paid to give me lessons. Her and my dad paid to give me lessons with violin and piano. So I was doing that for a little bit. And then like right around the time I started listening to hip hop, I met a good friend of mine, Whitney Vaughn. And like he had a, um, not only did he have like a great ear for hip hop, but he had like an impeccable like catalog like at his house. Like he had this like great just collection of like CDs and stuff like that. And so like as I was trying to learn the culture, he was like, hey man, come over here. And like I would like, over the weekend we kick it with each other and stuff like that. And so I was listening to a lot of the albums he had. And like one day we went to the mall and like again to show you how long ago this is, we went to like a Sam Goody or something like that and got like a single from the radio. And like we came back and listened to the single. The single went off and the instrumental came on. He's like, let's freestyle. And he's like, hey man, I like that. And so we started a group. And um, so like that's how I started rhyming. It's just okay. like just nice. stopped. And so like like maybe 14, 15 back then. Um, like show you, like we I probably shouldn't tell y'all this, but like our names no. are really black. <laughs> like everybody's got that. Everybody yeah. has that that first we we've talked to a lot of artists and that first rap name yeah. is, is always bad. I, I was Goldeneye, he was Goldfinger, and his brother was 14 carats. And we called ourselves both image. <laughs> it was, it was not that's I mean, you know, hey, we've heard it. worse, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we've had worse. Yeah, yo. At least me. Yeah, that's, me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I went by at first. And yeah. we did that for a little bit and then like um, Whitney moved about ten minutes away, so we weren't going to the same school anymore. And like his brother like but like, I don't really want to rap anymore. So like the group disbanded, but like we just kept making music and so it just kinda of went from there. Nice. I want, I want to jump back a second talking about the class because okay. one of the things that me and Vod always talk about and one of the the, the real uh, the primary uh, focuses of our podcast is everything is hip-hop. You know, whether it's good, bad, whatever, it's all in some ways and shape and form related to hip-hop because it is the most dominant and most influential culture uh, in the world. So... It sounds like very much what you're doing is kind of just taking it, you know, from the very essence of of culture, black culture, and and bringing it up through and showing how hip hop has evolved from these things, and and then in the inverse, how hip hop is now affecting everything that it touches, basically. Is, yeah, is that fair to say? I mean, that's exactly what we do. I tell people like hip hop didn't fall out the sky 45 years ago. Hip hop has ancestors. 
And so like hip hop is taken from jazz, it's taken from blues, it's taken from rock, it's taken from soul and gospel, and it's created something new and dynamic. And now it influences everything else. It's places without running water and electricity that hip hop is touched. It's the most, like you said, it's the most dominant culture in the world. And in many ways, like these black and brown children from the South Bronx, reimagine what music is like. You don't have to play an instrument anymore. You don't have to yeah. sing anymore to be able to make music. Out and, of necessity. Yeah, it's not a necessity anymore. Like you can be able to create with what you have in front of you. And just that essence in and of itself is part of the reason why hip hop is still here because it's able to grow and evolve. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not limited by this, this 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 notion that you have to do it this way. It's and much then, like um, how uh, soccer is for uh, a lot of people in third world countries. You can like you see people playing soccer with like uh, milk cartons or you know with socks or you know the same thing with basketball. Like for the most part, like if you go you know in the hoods now, like it may be a little bit different. But you know in the eighties, all you all you needed was a milk crate, milk crate, milk crate, and a ball. Yeah, you know, yeah. so it's, it's socks or with a hanger over the door. You know, like with, with hockey, like you need you need ice, you need a stick, you need a you yeah. know, you need pads, yeah. you right? Need the equipment, baseball, you need right equipment. You know, you need bats, gloves. You know, yeah. so it's a um, even with football, it's football. even though they usually find a way for football, right? But you still need all of all the equipment. So yeah, it goes to that to like like you said, like it, giving people the opportunity to to not be uh, marginalized by not maybe having the means or the resources, being able to just use what they have to to repurpose it for. And that's what hip hop is, right? Yeah, which that reflects because like hip hop is the biggest culture in the world, but basketball to your point and soccer uh are soccer's number one right and basketball's number two as far as the sports most played in the world so because they're easily accessible i mean that's that's a great analogy and, and, and even in many ways that's part of the reason why those two cultures are so connected hip-hop is so connected to basketball and overseas is so connected to soccer for those reasons because you don't have to have all of these other resources and, and not only that it, it fuels creativity and it feeds off of it and it's an outlet for so many young people and things like that and that's actually something we talk about in my other hip-hop class the other class i teach is called no city for young men hip-hop and a narrative of marginalization and so like we talk about how hip-hop communicates the lived experience of people living in urban america and so and so like not only does it communicate it but it challenges the conditions that made it the way it is and so like the way we go about that course is we will We'll read like um, scholars like talking about like different uh, phenomenon to help create urban America, whether it's racialized housing segregation, uh, underfunding for public education, things like that. We'll read a scholar one week and then the next week we'll listen to an album that communicates some of what's talking about. So I'll say like this album is like a firsthand account of what the scholar was just saying. And so like the really the scholarship is catching up to what these rappers have been saying for decades. Uh, what's what's some of the music that that you would use like as a go-to to like kind of uh relate a point of the scholar so we listen to illmatic uh the first album we listen to is either illmatic reasonable doubt or ready to die i usually go between one of those three um most often we listen to illmatic but like any one of those three will do it just really kind of depends on my mood at the start of the semester that's all you need man <laughs> <laughs> um yes. Then from there, we listen to um, um, Good Kid, Mad City. 
Okay. Uh, tell them that many of the themes you hear in Good Kid, Mad City, you also hear in Illmatic, and it's just a um, newer lens and it's put in a different regional context. Uh, we also listen to The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Um, oftentimes we'll listen to like Chance's coloring book. And from there, like the other albums we listen to depends on the semester. So like I often will pick like a trap album like Thug Motivation 101 or um, or trap music, or uh, I'm serious, something like that. We'll find one of those albums and listen to a good part uh, portion of that too. Okay, nice. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you mentioned uh, Good Kid, Mad City, and then I know um, you know just getting familiar with, with some of your work uh, as far as uh, the, the project that you put out last year. Um, uh, in the words of right, mm. so. Isn't that the one where you, you referenced um, we gonna all right? I do. In the words of Jermaine, we just want to take off the chains. In the words, in the words of, of Shay, Jermaine, we, we just want to take off the chains. In the words of O'Shea, we want days without the AK. And in the words of Mr. Chuck, words. If God's got us, we gonna be all right. We gonna be okay. In the words of Jermaine, we just want to take off the chains. In the words of O'Shea, we want days without the AK. And in the words of Mr. stuck out um in terms of like the, the the first tracks like the first half of the album that stuck out a lot just because um when you look at the the lineage right so when you say jermaine you say o'shea and, and kendrick mm -hmm. there there is that from from ice cube up to cole to the kendrick there is kind of that lineage of like the what you may call conscious rapper but at the same time still has such a um, vibrant um, fan base and it's still considered to be very, very cool. Yeah. Right? And I tell people all the time, like, it's a continuum. So Cube and Kendrick are talking about the same things. And, yeah. and Kendrick will tell you, like, N.W.A. and Death Row really informed how he viewed making music. Right. Yeah. Like, and everybody who came after Ice Cube was influenced by him in some way. No uh, question. So like, so cold falls in that category and so in many ways so like that's what the song is trying to convey like if you listen whether you're listening to jay cole's be free whether you're listening to ice cubes it's a good day or whether you're listening to kendrick's all right we're all essentially saying the same thing we, we are people we want to be acknowledged we want to be able to live in an environment where we can exist and be valued like that's what we're talking about it's, it's the same thing that we've been it's the same refrain uh ain't i a woman uh, I am a man. Black Lives Matter. We've been saying we've been having the same conversation for centuries. Absolutely. Like whether it's within hip hop, whether it's outside of hip hop, the continuum remains. And hip hop is just like one of the more vibrant ways that gets said right now. I wanted to talk to you about um, just okay. So um, of course, Phil. Again, you know, you're in his hometown, and I you know that's a second home to me. Um, Let's just talk about Temple for a moment. And, and yeah. like you said, um, um, just the things that are going on there, how does it affect, um, how, first of all, how does it affect the, the black student body? For example, like I know, you know, obviously being, you know, around the hood or whatever, but um, 
Aren't they trying to build a football stadium there? All right. That's that's mind boggling to me. <laughs> like Phil, can you even imagine that? Like, no, a, like man. Because like all a, I see is Cecil B. Moore, yeah. uh, formerly Columbia Ave. Yes. I, I was there when <laughs> it was it was the home of the original Gun Clavers. Like it, it was it was. <laughs> It was one of the wildest places you could possibly be. Yeah. Like they would tell the students, you know, don't go but so far this way. And I mean, you know, so the idea of, you know, having, you know, alumni and students and guests and, you know, reporters and beat writers. Yeah. And like, especially as, as Temple starts to increase their um their success uh on the field, yeah. there's only gonna attract more people. So it's, from a from a faculty standpoint, what are you guys saying about that? So like it's kind of mixed. There's a movement, um, they call themselves stadium stompers who are trying to get Temple to not build the stadium in the middle of North Philadelphia because it'll have it could have devastate a devastating impact to people who are living there. Economic effects. Absolutely. Yeah. And like and displacing people who've been a part of this neighborhood for decades. Right. Looking like you said, the local economy and just further um, alienating the community because there's always this tension there. And like and people who live within North Philadelphia talk about this idea of is Temple a good neighbor? And this idea that like you're in North Philly but not of North Philly and we don't always feel welcome and embraced by Temple. So like there's this tension there and the stadium seems to be exacerbating that. And so temp the administration has said that they're like they they've taken that into consideration. They've done some focus groups and, and heard from faculty, students, staff and community leaders and things like that. I don't know where things are with the stadium, but I imagine with all the investment that they've made, they're probably going to proceed forward with it. But it, like you said, it, it's, it's it can completely reorient this neighborhood and um, make it have like some some long lasting impacts. So yeah. why is the link trying to? It seems like the link, you know, Lincoln Financial Field is, is is really trying to make it tough for the football team to have you know a home you know during the season. So that's what's leading them to 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 do to do this there. Like, why do you think, you know, Temple just doesn't get the love like that? Well, I mean, part of it is like Temple, Temple is huge. Temple's got like 40,000 students and the football team is getting more and more notoriety. And just that revenue stream in some part is a, is a competitor to what the Eagles are doing. So like the Eagles, while they appreciate Temple and them being a pipeline to some degree to their franchise and sure. The neighbor also it's like wait a minute you, you could cut into our revenue stream and so like to say you got that issue then you got the whole idea of north philadelphia saying it's great that you're here but like we want you to be a good neighbor not throw the stadium down in the middle of where people are living and so it's almost as those people love temple and they value what it does but it's um at times difficult like you said for them to find footing um throughout the city especially for the football program particularly lately while they're doing so well they've had a really historic run the last like three, four years has yeah. um, been one of the um, more notable runs in, uh, in recent memory. Yeah, man. I, when, I, when I think about the stadium, I think about two things. I, I think about one uh, on a less, it's on a lesser scale, but with the Barclay Center. Mm. Barclay Center, what it did to that part of Brooklyn, um, it made it so that all those people around there, the, the taxes increased so exponentially that they couldn't afford to stay there. Like, for example, like uh, everybody remembers Junior's Cheesecake from the, mm -hmm. you know, making the band episode where where 
Puff made him walk to get the cheesecake. <laughs> that that is that that particular juniors isn't there anymore. Oh man. Because it couldn't afford to be there. I mean they 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 still have juniors. Yeah. That just that but but that was like the one that had been there, the the, oh, wow. the famous one. So and then just you know and, and it's been well documented about the gentrification in Brooklyn. And then also I think about it, I'm a I'm a Miami Hurricane fan. And the first time I went to the Orange Bowl and this and I noticed this in a lot of places around the country, stadiums are in the hood and yep. the Orange Bowl's in Little Haiti. <laughs> or I mean they don't play there now, but at the time, I mean that was they played there for decades. It's yep. in Little Haiti. It's if you're not from Miami, the, I'm not talking about South Beach, but like the real Miami, you know, that's not a place you really want to go if you don't you know if you're not from there and it and there were issues about people you know going back to their cars uh one of the one of the radio hosts famously tells a story that you know his car it was broken into and the guy that broke into it was still in the car and he was smoking crack you know he didn't even take the time to steal what he was going to steal and get out the car so i mean that's just one example but so i mean i'm thinking about all these potential things although it would bring revenue to the area yeah. at, at which the larger grand scheme costs uh, yeah and and the cost like you said is a good question because like um, there's a price associated with that and why it definitely will bring revenue to the school and revenue to the area but it's still pricing people out of the game so i i don't know if they intend to raise prices for the actual oh, game oh, they're going to definitely have to pay oh, for that joint and, and then where do those people go that do get displaced yeah, exactly. Where do they go? Because then you got to figure out parking, which means you're going to tear down more houses. Because I mean, I, I'm from I'm from North Philly, and there, there's a whole basically a whole neighborhood that's a parking lot now for the for the hospital. Where, yeah. Where, where when I grew up, that was those were houses. And, wow. And my uh my my grandparents had a restaurant there. It was it was a lot of it was a real actual community. Now that parking lot on on off abroad. Of those were all that was all houses and neighborhoods and you know businesses black businesses yeah you know now it's you know a place to to, to put your uh your dodge charger so i mean yeah and, and that's 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 the cost that that we see happening with with these urban renewal programs and gentrification happening if there's not a consideration as to, to the people who are there and that's what, what's one of the things we talk about in the class across bronx expressway was built right in the middle of the Bronx. And like that devastated the Bronx. It it, it destroyed a manufacturing industry that was vibrant. It, it, it made unemployment skyrocket. It um, destroyed like neighborhoods, streets, homes, boulevards. Led to the fires. The, yeah, all know, of that. The like, fires. From that, from, from that. And like, and that devil, hip, I mean, a beautiful thing come from it. Hip hop grew out of that, but but it, it, in many ways, it completely altered the lives of people who are living there. And I hope that the stadium doesn't do that. But that's the fear of many people, which is why there's such an active movement to try to stop it. We are talking to Timothy Welbeck. Uh, he is an esteemed uh, writer, attorney, professor. Uh, he's uh, kicking it with us on this episode of Tissue in the Tape. We again are just uh, thanking him for hanging out with us. and. Um, we want we got some more questions for you, man. We want to definitely get more into. Uh, you mentioned um, no city for 
for young men, uh, not only just being a, a class, but it's also the name of your project that we just talked about briefly. How did that? How did that come about? Um, you know, uh, what what made you act, actually want to put together an album and you know put it out there for the people? So um, a few years ago, I was a legal counsel for the executive producer for the soundtrack of a movie. The movie was a hip hop horror film. And the executive producer of the soundtrack and the director of the film found out I rapped. And they're like, hey, like, why don't you put a song on the soundtrack? And at the time, I didn't have anything that fit. I was like, I don't make like horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, the, the executive producer, man, he was like, big talk. He was like, man, we're going to like be on MTV and then Double XL and The Source. We're going to be at the Hip Hop Awards with BET, all of that. So, I'm like, this might be a big song for me. And so, at the time, like, the, um, the death of Trayvon Martin had become national news. And I had also been following the death of uh, Oscar Grant. So I was like, you know, why don't I write a tribute to them? And so I did that. And the film was called You're Nobody Till Somebody Kills You. So I called the song Nobody. And I was like, they treat us like we're nobody. And so I wrote the song. And then by the time I finished the song and like we're wrapping up the legal work for the soundtrack, the um, funding for the film fell apart. And so like it went straight to DVD. And so like while we were negotiating what would happen from there, I had ended up writing like four or five other songs that had a similar theme. What's now No City for Young Men, The Afterthought, The Audacity of Dope, Rap and Ball. So, and so I had all those songs together and I was working on a completely different project. And I was like, you know, I've got these like four or five songs that don't fit this project. And I let some people hear them. They're like, why don't you just put them out? And I said, okay, you know, that's a good idea. And so I did. So. I was like, you know, I'll just put them together. And then like four songs turned into five, five turned into seven, seven turned into 12. And I looked up and I've got this like longer album. And in the process of making this longer album, I got a chance to teach this class at Temple that's based on the album. And then now I'm also writing a book that's based on the album. So like all, all of these things kind of sprung forth from what looked like just a small idea, but it, it started there and just continued to grow. Excellent, man. Now, and speaking speaking of writing, man, um, you, you have a, you have a couple credits, uh, some some dope articles that have appeared, uh, um, on on some pretty big uh some pretty big spots. Uh, one in particular that that definitely caught my attention, uh, um, when I'm talking about uh Kanye West and his approach to uh religion. Yeah. And I and I and I and I and I felt it, <laughs> We've talked. We've actually talked about this in like, like almost, like his. Not. I don't know if it's a fascination with religion or or if it's a, a if it's like an accessory to his to his swagger. And I, I wanted to get your take on one. Tell him about the article, but also your take on on that thought process. That's a good question. I I, I say that Kanye has like legitimate like. Uh, connections to, to religion, particularly Christianity. He was raised with connections to the church. And so I believe like a lot of this imagery and just a lot of just the idea of wanting to connect the God of the Bible and, and just talk about Jesus and his music was something that authentically arose in him. But Kanye, as a man of many contradictions, a man with a um, cascading ego, deeply narcissistic, and also like at times is insecure too. And so like he's wrestling with all these other things while also trying to be true to this thing that he grew up with. And so you get this, at first you get this amalgam of like Jesus walks, 
I want to put Jesus on the radio, but I also want to go to the strip club. So like, that's kind of how he initially yeah. <laughs> itself. Like in his first source interview, he's like, you know, I still go to the strip club, but I also still believe in Jesus. So like, we, we kind of got that dichotomy early on with him. I think as he's like grown and been exposed to more ideas and become more successful, he uh, has become more diluted uh, and like his view of himself. And then also his faith has become diluted. And so like some of that sincerity that was there in the beginning, I don't believe is there to the extent that it is now. And he also has a lot of people in his ear now that aren't critically challenging him and making him question some of the decisions that he's making, some of the things that he's saying, and even pushing him towards a more authentic representation of the things he says he believes. So I think that then spirals into getting to, to some of the stuff that we hear him say. Like, I don't even think I would have so much of a problem with him if he was able to articulate some of these thoughts that he puts out there. I know he's he's into like the you know free thinking and everything, and that's fine. But when when you're actually called to answer, you know some of the things that you're saying that are either like not helpful or very harmful or, or confusing, you know you put yourself in this position where your voice matters, and if you're not able to articulate yourself and you're just throwing stuff out there on the wall, you know that that's when I start to tune out. So that. It's one of those things, man, where he he wanted so bad for so long people to hear him and listen to him and take him seriously as an artist. And he was given the platform. Well, he, he earned the platform with his with his work. But now that he has it and people do actually care about what he says and and he to your point, he can't articulate those things. He'll just say something with no rhyme or reason and then when he's like like the, I, don't, I don't know uh tim if you if you saw the jimmy kimmel interview I see that yeah and and he put him he was like well do you he said he a very simple question i thought you know do you think you know donald trump cares about black people mm-hmm. and he couldn't answer to the point where they had to go to a commercial and then when they came back to the commercial it was on a totally different subject they never readdressed it. I don't know if that was Kimmel's choice or if, or if they got in his ear and said, "Hey, don't ask him about this anymore." But, <laughs> but it never it never came back up. So again, on a, on a, on a national stage, he was asked a question. You know, something that was it wasn't random because it was something that he had brought to the forefront with his with his own words. Yeah. And then he and then it was never actually addressed or answered. Yeah, that's real. And like he went on Twitter talking about that too, saying, you know, I wasn't given a chance to answer. But like you have Twitter now, you have your website, you have other platforms. If you wanted to expound upon this, he has the opportunity to. But to both of you all's points, um, you all both articulated things that I was thinking about Kanye. And it's that Kanye has always been attracted to power. And then also just the idea of access um, to the privileges that whiteness brings. He's always just had this captivation. 100%. Captivated by whiteness and the power that it brings. And like now that he has a seat at the table, he not, he not only does he not want to rock the boat anymore, but he also doesn't have a full explanation as to why he wants to be there, aside from the fact that he's been pining for it. <laughs> <laughs> Now he finally got Kim. He was pining for her for years, years and years, uh, years and years and years seeking after her. He's had all types of colorist issues, talking about like light skin this and light skin that, and like he finally gives the woman that he was looking after, white looking, but also exotic looking at the same time. 
He's got, he's powerful and rubbing shoulders with influential people. And so now he doesn't feel the same sense of urgency and this connection to the to the people who gave him the opportunity and access to be there. Right. So he turned his back on them. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's That's one right. of those things, man, like uh again, this is something that we've talked about at different um intervals throughout the years. Uh, I always felt like his mom was his anchor. And the moment that she passed away he was no longer grounded in reality, so to speak. And he, he kind of just, he, he, he floated like, like California, you know, the, the idea of California, not, not necessarily the state of the people, but the idea of California and going West, it, 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 it changed his whole idea and thought process because he no longer had that person to, to, to bring them back in and say, Hey, this is, you know, you're going too far. You know, you're, you're, you're going to drift. You know, let me let me hold you down. Let me let me anchor you and keep you grounded into reality and keep you focused so you can still be you, but, you know, be a, the best version of you. I just don't think he has the best version of, you know, what, what most people call the old Kanye, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. Like his mother, like you, exactly like you said, was a person who was able to be honest with him, to challenge him and nurture him at the same time. And the voices that he had around him, who he was willing to listen to, whether they're alive, he doesn't listen to anymore. So like Jay will be honest with him. He will be honest with him. And but like, he's not listening to them in the same way that he would. Before. Yeah. And so like, He's now surrounded by a lot of yes men and like because a, a lot of the people who are around him who will speak honestly to him like john legend and other people like that he just tunes them out right or parades them around when it's politically expedient for him yeah um it's 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 a shame too because someone of his magnitude could definitely help his uh hometown uh, a lot more i think if he was in that same frame of mind that he was like we we're talking about back when he was really in tune with um you know, just with the the culture and just in, in tune with, um, you know, the youth too. Cause I mean, he was, you know, even though he was an, an older artist, he still had a very firm grip on what was cool and what um, he he had the type of um, cachet to where young people looked up to him. And I don't think that's that, that's the same now. That That's real. Like he, my students look at him the way my generation looks at, at a Jay-Z, someone who, when they were learning what hip hop was, was the standard bearer. Mm-hmm. And even though it may not be in his prime anymore, is someone that you measure everyone else by. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's who he was to like a lot of my students. And a lot of them are, have become really disillusioned and disappointed in him too. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, very, very great point. And, um, but um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit because or one of the other, uh, one of the other pieces you wrote, uh, the, the crayons don't match my oh, skin. You've done your homework. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, man, man, we, we try, man. We try. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I just found that to be one of the, uh, it, it was a perfect way to to explain what so many of us go through. I mean, it starts at an extremely young age when you, um, kids are, are the most observant. We're all parents. And and we were all obviously all kids and you start to see you know things don't add up you know you're outnumbered or you know things don't necessarily go you know equally you 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 start to notice that quickly 
and it, it affects how you think whether you want it to or not so that analogy was was the was the perfect one because you know i remember you you had to <laughs> it, it's funny when when i think about it now but it's also kind of a metaphor for everything else in order to get a crayon that even kind of resembled your skin color you had to buy the the big 64 pack with the with the pencil sharpener on the back you couldn't exactly what you had to do you're right yeah so you had to have a certain amount of income to even get the one to even match your skin color and if you just had the regular eight or 12 pack you had you you might have brown you know <laughs> you might have beige but if you weren't brown or beige you know you yeah. just weren't there you didn't exist that's, that's and so it's it it's one of those things like yeah i mean of course you went into more detail in the article but just just that point of view i thought was brilliant and it's a great way to explain it to to anybody that can't understand you know what it is that uh people of color go through on an everyday basis yeah that's real for people who may be watching this who don't know what we're talking about i wrote an article for the philadelphia inquirer i think it was january of last year and i talked about when i was in kindergarten my teacher came to us and said for an assignment she wanted us to draw a picture of ourselves and this is around the time i really loved to draw i wanted to make a picture as accurate as possible and so I looked into this bin of markers and, and crayons that she had given us, and the closest crayon to my skin complexion was a peach. So I colored myself peach, and my hair is light brown, so I colored it light brown, because we actually had that big pack of crayons that you were talking yeah. about. So like, I found a light brown, and my eyes are green, so I colored my eyes green. And like, I look back, and I think I got this masterpiece in the, in the suit next to me, says, you're not white, why are you using peach? And he hands me a black crayon. He says, you should use this. And that was the first time that I was really jolted by the idea, like, this is what it means when people say that you're black. And like, you don't have to hold a crayon, a black crayon next to me to realize that that doesn't even come close to like, what my skin looks like, no one's skin looks like that. But to realize like, this is how he conceived of himself and, and, and conceived of me in his mind and then wanted me to share in that opinion and, and to label myself in that way. It's, it's it was a transformative experience for me in that moment because I was like, this is how the world sees me, and so that's what so that's what I wrote about in the article, um, and just to, to capture that. And like you said, so many of us learn that the world views us in this way as children. Frederick Douglass talks about in his memoir just the idea like he got sold to a different plantation when he was six, never saw his grandmother again. Malcolm X was like in the second or third grade, told his teacher, I want to be a lawyer. And she said, niggers can't be lawyers. Um, like, you know, so many of like different people like experience this idea that child said that you are different, you are set apart, but you're set apart to be marginalized and disenfranchised. Exactly, man, and I, I just want—I just wanted to commend you because I, I was—I was going through a. I, I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I wish I could have read more because as I, as I'm going and I'm, I'm reading, I'm like, yo, this this dude, this dude's serious, man. Like, like I, and then you you, you kind of uh, hinted that you're writing a book. Could, yeah. could you uh, elaborate on that a little bit more, or is that 
So um, I, I signed a, a contract about a month ago with a publisher. And so basically the, the No City for Young Men, the course that was inspired by the album, I'm going to write a book that we use for it. And so rather than going to other scholars um, for the actual articles, we'll use things that I'm writing in the book. And so I'll mm. talk about urbanization. I'll talk about racial um, houses, housing segregation, underfunding and schools and how hip hop not only communicates that reality, but how it comes out of that and how it speaks to this reality. And and even talk about like the evolution of like trap music. Cause I tell my students all the time, the trap isn't just a sound, it's a response to a lived condition. Yeah. Like just looking even at- the word trap. You know, word trap, like my living condition feels like a trap. And I'm making music that responds to that and talks about that and details that. So the book is gonna talk about all of that a lot of the themes that are in the album will be um, brought into chapters in the book. So like, for example, The Right Thing Do talks about police brutality. We'll have a chapter called The Right Thing Do talking about police brutality. Uh, the Audacity of Dope talks about the drug game and drug culture. We'll have a chapter called The Audacity of Dope that details that. And so, so working on the book now, I'm, uh, I'm about maybe a third into it right now, working on the forward and introduction and got about half a chapter aside from that done too. Nice, man. Again, we are talking to Timothy Welbeck. Uh, again, he's talking about uh, some of the projects that he's put out. Filmatic uh, tissue yes, and the tape is, is, is something that, that, we, uh, that we love to do, but also within the show, there's a few things that we like to do uh -oh. with oh. our guests. Okay. Uh -oh. I know where we going. So, okay. uh, so, so Tim, uh, we do a thing that's called uh, tit for tat. Okay. And basically what we like to do is just get inside the brain of our guests and then give uh, our, our listeners just a better understanding of who you are. And if you were put in a situation where you had to make critical and crucial choices, like oh. AC, like AC or the drop. Oh, wow. <laughs> what would you do in that moment? Would you, wow. would you buckle? Would you straddle the fence like like a lot of people try to do, or would you just wow. go ahead and would you throw the gauntlet down and say, you know what, this is what I'm standing on right here? So, okay. without any further ado, it sounds like you're already ready to, to to embark on this. Yeah, let's make it happen. All right, all right, let's get it. All right, so we we have we have a few that are tried and true. We're just gonna go ahead and give you the ones that um that you know that we that we know our listeners want to hear exactly what your thoughts are. Okay. Feel mad if you started off. All right, all right. So Tim, very crucial, very important. Okay. If if I say to my brother, I say I got DJ Premier. Yeah. Vod, you're gonna say I got Pete Rock, and then to Tim, we're gonna say you gotta pick one. Who you got? Wait a minute. You're making me pick between Pete Rock and DJ Premier. It's yes, happening. Sir. It's happening. Oh, that's not right. Wow. If you just had one, you can look at it however you want, whether it's wow. to, have, you know, to have one produce a song for you or for you to just say, I can only listen to this particular person's catalog. Oh, right. That's not right. <laughs> I mean, like, so I, I won't drag this out. I'm just telling y'all right now, that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if, if I'm forced to make a decision, I'm going to go with Prima. Okay. Uh, like it's it's a tremendously difficult decision, but he's one of the few producers that work with Big Pocket. I mean, Big Nas and Jay. He's one of the few producers who have done that. Um, almost thirty year career in the industry, 
um, helped create a sound that people still emulate now. Um, one of my favorite producers, um, still active today. Um, and then like to be able to do Gangstar 20, 25 years ago and then to do Prime now. Yeah. Primo had to cut you the check after that, man. Yeah, that was, that was, <laughs> yeah but I mean like, but still Pete Rock's old brother number one, like is yeah. one of my favorite producers. Absolutely. Like, he, made, he made the perfect hip hop song, by the way. He's yeah. responsible for that. That is the quintessential hip hop song. Yeah, yeah. no question. I don't know if there's a better beat. No. Yeah. yeah, it's perfect. Troy is absolutely <laughs> perfect. <laughs> okay, all right, Phil. So if I say uh, Midnight Marauders, what do you say? I'm gonna say Low in Theory. And then what do you say, Tim? Y'all are not playing no games tonight. You're not, man. I'm gonna go Midnight Marauders. And just just give us just a, a quick blurb about why. Uh, Midnight Marauders is probably like just a perfect album. And like I, I saw Dar Adams talking about this on Twitter a couple years ago. The sequence, the se sequencing of that album is perfect. Like Absolutely. it was made for like when you, like you have to put in the tape, play it to one side, and then flip it over and play the other side. Like if you cut the album in half, it's like two perfectly crafted EPs that flow well into each other. So yeah, wow. shade on low end theory. But if I had to pick one, I'm going with Midnight. Talk to him. Okay. All right. Now, now, Phil, this now, now, the way that he broke that down, I selfishly have to ask this one. Okay. Phil, if I say Michael Jackson's off the wall, what do you say? Thriller. <laughs> <laughs> Which one would you pick, Tim? Thriller is my childhood. Thriller is my childhood. It's ours too. My favorite Mike songs are on Off the Wall, though. So, there it is. I'm going yeah. off the wall. There it is. Miller is my childhood. So yeah, it's, my, it's, my, it's tough for people. My to inner child just punched me in the throat. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough for people to come up with that, though. Like, people yeah. definitely struggle with that because of the fact that, like, those, like, but yeah, when you look at Off the Wall, it's. That's my favorite Mike. Those are my favorite Mike songs. Yeah. yeah. I want to rock with you. I mean, like, yeah. It's awesome. Okay. Um, we're going to switch gears a little bit, uh, get it, get a little bit into sports for a couple ones, Phil. Okay. Um, uh, so there's there's this bald headed guy uh, from North Carolina, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Okay, and then Phil, who, who's the other guy that we juxtapose against him? You know who we juxtapose against him? Michael Jeffrey Jordan. <laughs> that's <who. laughs> that is the right answer. We don't. We don't. We, that's that's not even. Um, Typically, we would say uh, LeBron, Ramon, James, but uh, I think you kind of made it clear yeah, exactly. I already made it known, so we don't need to go too. See, yeah. all right, all right, all right I'll, give, I'll, I'll give you one. Here, here you go. Uh, Michael Jordan, first three peat, or Michael Jordan, second three peat? Oh, wow. Oh. Air Jordan or fadeaway perfect? This is what I'm talking about. That's tough. Yeah, that's a tough one. That is really tough because, like, he was more physically dominant with that first three-piece, especially that Phoenix and that Portland series. He just had his way with people. I think he averaged, like, 40-plus points with, with that Phoenix series. Yeah. But, like... If you let some people tell it, though, he played against bus drivers. 
Some people need to go back and watch them tapes. Yeah. Talk to them. All of them teams. Um, were, were you about to say that the, the second round was a little bit more cerebral? More impressive to me because he had more physical limitations. Right. And also just the pressure of can you do what you've done before? Um, so, I mean, I guess the first one was more meaningful because that gets him his championships and solidifies his place in history. But for me, um, those second sets, it's just more impressive. Like, you got the flu game the second go around. You got the, the shot in 98 over Brian Russell. You've got the 72 Bulls in 96 beating the um, Supersonics. So, y'all are asking me some tough questions tonight. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, I, I, I'm going I'm to I'm give you, um, I'm going to piggyback off that one and, and, and ask you this. Uh, just keeping with that same thing, the Air Jordan Six or the Air Jordan Eleven? Hmm. Oh, okay. Y'all gonna have to help me with this one. Which one is the patent leather one? Is that the Eleven? That's, that's, that's the Eleven. 11. I'm gonna go with that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that one's got some nostalgia attached to it for me. That's the first Jordan that I saw. That's like, yeah, Mama, I want them. And she like, yeah. you have Jordan money. Yeah. 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 <laughs> for sure. We've all heard that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, Phil. Um, Phil, all right, uh, let's keep it with sports a little bit more. What's more demoralizing to you when you're watching sports? Oh. To see someone get stiff armed just to to the depths of hell on a football field, or what, Phil? Or get your ankles broke with the killer crossover. Mm-hmm. Which which one? If 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 one of them is if you if one of them's going to happen to you, which one would you rather not? Is the is the question? Oh wow. Um... I don't want either one of them things. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's the footage too. So, you know, so, no, no matter where you are, somebody's going to catch it on camera. Yeah. I would say I would rather have my ankles broken and be stiff armed into oblivion. Yeah. Because like, that just like, that just like challenges your manhood for someone to be like, I'm a grown man and I'm going to put you around and you ain't nothing you can do about it. Yeah. That's just a different, like, if someone breaking your ankles, you might be having a bad day. Yeah, you can blame it on the floor. You got the wrong kicks on. Yeah, you got the wrong kicks on. Like, hey, like, you know, you just got me today. That's different. Everybody gets crossed up every now and again. Like, somebody push you around, you can't do nothing about it. Like, <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, switching gears a little bit, we're going to take it to uh, social commentary and, I guess, com- comedy a little bit. Um, Dave Chappelle, Phil, if I say that, who do you say? Oh, I'm, I'm going with Chris Rock. Who do you say, Tim? What is going on tonight? <laughs> we got to make it difficult, man. I'm going with Dave Chappelle because he gave us the block party. And I mm, no said the other day that he's still the only person that he thinks can bring the Fuji's together. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Dave Chappelle. It's probably yeah. about right. Block party supremely underrated, by the way. Yeah, it is. Underrated. Okay. Um, uh, switching gears a, a little bit again. If we're talking about years in hip hop, if I take 1993 and Phil, you take what year? I'm uh, nine six and forever. And we asked you to pick which one uh, was a better year in your eyes. What do you say, Tim? Ninety three is a better year, but ninety six holds a special place in my heart. Okay. That's that's a great answer. All right, moving along. Uh, oh, hold on, hold yeah. on, I, I, I got one. Okay. Right. Let, let, let's let's because you know I'm I'm a, I'm a fat boy at heart. Yeah. So so we're gonna take it the food. You're you're in you're in my city. Yes. So if if I'm going to you're in the city and I tell you you have to pick one, it's either going to be a cheesesteak or a hoagie. Cheesesteak. Cheesesteak. Okay. 
and we're going to Ishkabibbles if we're in Center City, and we're going to D'Alessandro's if we're um, in Northwest. Okay. If we're in North Philly, we can go to Max to get people a taste of Philadelphia. There you go. Let's go. You. I mean, he just gave you all the. the he banged it out. Right? I, I, I didn't even have to hit him with the. You gonna go to this place or that place? He, yes. he gave you all the blueprint right there. We Ishkabibbles and D'Alessandro. I was hoping you would make me do that. Yeah, no, it's fine. We're we're, we're equal uh, equal opportunity. Uh, fat boy is here, so that's all good. Uh, Rock him or Kane? I'm just gonna throw it out there since you no. did it. Rock him or Kane? I gotta do this to me, and it's <laughs> too. Okay, listen, we don't get Jay Z without Big Daddy Kane, but I I gotta go with Rakim though. Rakim, hold your heart. Rakim is a better MC to me. Um, I think Rakim is giving us more class records, mm. and oh. Rakim was more influential in changing the way MC, elite MCs rap. But like that's oh, that, urgent. Agree, agree. No shade to Big Daddy K. He's one of the greatest of all time. Like I said, we don't get Jay Z without Big Daddy K. And I'm mad that I had to say that on camera. That's okay. That's, That's all right. You wouldn't be the first one. And you, you, I'm sure you won't be the last. You won't be, you won't be the last. But that brings us to our next thing. Since you did bring up uh, the, the the big homie, uh, Sean Corey Carter. Okay. Um. You know, the the the, the easiest one, Jay-Z or Nas. Okay. That's the easiest one. I love Nasir Ben Oludawa Jones. I do. <laughs> Nice. John Corey Carter is the greatest rapper of all time. There you go. So I gotta go with you. I okay. gotta go. So so if I asked you take over or ether. Yeah, you already know. Nas won on wax, Jay-Z won in real life. Ether is Ether is a much better diss. It's it's, it's harder hitting, it's it's more memorable. It has uh, it, it it coined a new verb in hip hop. Takeover is a great song. Like if it's going up against most other disses in hip hop, it wins. But it just went. It, it met a freight train in Ether. See how, how I always look at it. Ether is the better disc, but Takeover is the better song. I'll give you that. Like when if I'm going to listen to one of them, like I mean, if I keep it all the way hundred, Ether is not an actual good song. Like I I don't I don't think it's a good song. Like ron browse you know he he made his living in off of being the ether boy but i don't that wasn't even the original beat um from what i understand if he was able to use the original version it would have been a big problem for uh for for jay but that's a whole nother thing i agree with you and i think that even like solidifies the difference between the two like jay-z is just a better tactician he's also a better songwriter he has a better ear for beats and so like yeah you're exactly right takeover is a better song ether is a better disc Okay. We, we got a couple more that we want to do just because you answered these so well. Um, uh, so you, you mentioned Outcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, you're going to do it. What <laughs> <laughs> aren't you? Well, I don't, I don't know, Phil. Um, where, where, where should I take this one? Uh, There's a couple ways we can take this. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? Go, go out. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a couple ways we can take it. So, um, so if, if I'm gonna ask you, best Outcast album, ATA, no question, huh? No question. Yeah. Like, most people say Equimini. Most people say most Equimini. people would be wrong. And I've listened. To, I listen to both of those albums regularly. 
I have a playlist on Apple Music that combines the better parts of both of those albums. Uh, AT Aliens. You got to get your info, man. I'd love to hear that. I'm, yeah. I'll, I'll email that to you. Yeah. Uh, I call it Headland and Deluxe. And it's so <laughs> nice. Like, and it's got like the better parts of those albums and then other people whose music was inspired by that era. So it's got some big crit. Nice. And other people on there. Um, but uh, AT Aliens is more cohesive. Uh, it has no skippable tracks. Um, it's he, he got one of the best uh, MC performances from top to bottom in Andre. That, that's where he elevated himself to like, uh, uh, alien level on that album. Yeah. Like, Please don't be fooled, people. Andre Benjamin is one of the best MCs to ever do it. Don't to ever do it. I don't, I don't want to hear but that. That, that album is evidence. Yeah, that, that's that's the that's uh, exhibit. You know, A, B, and C. I, I agree. So, like, uh, Equipment I, like, it's bigger moments are bigger. So, like, uh, Rosa Parks is bigger than AT Aliens, the song. Yeah. Uh, Equipment I, the song, is bigger than uh, Elevators. But, like, uh, AT Aliens is a better album. Yeah, like, I mean, I like Jazzy Bell to uh, Wailing. Yeah. To uh, uh, Mainstream. Over to that big girl from Decatur saying. <laughs> And, and, and here's something that's that's not talked about enough. It was 1996. Mm-hmm. Pac was still alive. Big was still. Pac had two albums come out in 1996. Yeah. Um, you know, it was written came out. The yeah. score. I mean, there were so many classic albums. Uh, Competition. Yeah, Beats, Rhymes, and Life came out. Um, it, it was just so much that it was. It was. It was jam packed with, you know, talented MCs. Um, reasonable doubt. Um, stakes is high. Like, it was Ghostface. You might make me change um, my earlier answer and come back tonight. <laughs> but but, I, but I'm, I'm saying all that to say that the fact that that album still stands out in in that climate. Yeah. To be one of the best albums of all time, in my opinion, it's their magnum opus. If 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 I get asked that question, like that, the fact that it had all that competition, you know, we talk about it in sports, the level of competition, yeah. you know, the makes the it defines how good your team really was. Absolutely. Um. So that's another reason. That's another feather in the cap for uh ATLs. I agree. I agree. All right, we, we got a couple more left. Uh what's a better MC factory? Queens, New York or Los Angeles County? Oh wow. Now that that includes Compton, Long Beach, South Central. But when you look at Queens, we we you know we already know. You gotta go with Queens. You gotta listen. I love Kendrick. I love yeah. you. Yeah. Like Rascass, like all yeah, goes on and on and on. But it goes goes on. Can't disrespect Queens like that. Okay, be Queens get the money. <laughs> all right, all right. So again, because I'm a fat boy, um, I'm in ATL. Do I get a Miss Winner's chicken biscuit or do I go to Gladys Knights? Go to Gladys Knights because you can get Miss Winner's anywhere in the South. There's only one, but it's hard to find like what Gladys Knights gives you. <laughs> But Miss Winners is only in the South, though. You, you know, you yeah, have, I, I, I have to get on an airplane to go to Miss Winners. Oh, okay. <laughs> see, because like, like I'm thinking about like once I go south of like DC, I can get Miss Winners almost anywhere. No, they, they got them in Virginia because that's. They, I don't they, think so. I think like the closest I, like is South Carolina is the first place I started seeing them. Oh, okay. 
you might yeah. have a point. Um, like, yeah, the closer you get to Atlanta, they start popping up all crazy. But you can get Bojangles, and that's pretty close. True, true. But they don't have the Bojangles don't have the chicken biscuit like this one. They don't have the chicken biscuit. Yeah, you're making my inner fat boy sing right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the first thing I ever ate the, yeah. the, when I went to Atlanta. The first time I ever went to Atlanta, that's the first thing that I ever had. Hang on just a second. I need to uh, get my power to my power cord. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. So again, we are uh, talking to uh, Timothy Welbeck. Uh, he's he's granted us uh, his time and definitely a lot of his energy just towards some of the subjects that he's passionate about. Uh, Tim, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Uh, we got a couple more questions that we wanted yeah. to, to ask you before we get out of here. We know your time is valuable. We appreciate you, uh, you know, being so uh, generous with your time and, and thoughts, man. Thank you. Um, Phil, so as we just, uh, again, kind of just go go through and just look at um, one of the things you mentioned was just such a... Um, impressive resume and everything like that uh what are some of the the, the questions that you had uh just to just sum up um you know uh our conversation here with tim um one of, one of the things i definitely wanted to ask you about because being in in philly i wanted to ask you what are your thoughts on on meek mill in terms of just like this his i guess it's not really a transformation but i guess this uh slightly woke <laughs> meek for lack of a better term i hate i hate using the term woke but i there's no really way i can i, I guess the the experience he went through made him kind of see things a little bit different um being in the city how do you how do you see it and what's the impact you think it has i'm happy for meek that he's growing um every i don't know him personally but the people that i know who are around him say that the meek of 2018 is not even the meek of 2015 or 2016 that he's growing as a man that he's evolving that's great to hear uh, i'm hearing that consistently and in many ways he is uh the embodiment of just some so many of the racial disparities in the criminal justice system and the perils that come with it i'm like we, we've now learned that his original charges that led to his arrest in 2008 came from uh, a fabricated Exactly. Um, warrant for probable cause. The the officer detective, I believe his name is Green, uh, who filed the warrant for um, to get to go and search the apartment where he was, lied about the reason for it. He said that uh, he saw Meek sell some cocaine to a, a an informant, and he said that he didn't field test the substance. Meek was across town um, in a criminal justice system in a criminal justice center watching a trial for his cousin. So like he wasn't even in the place where he was alleged to have been, and that was what gave the officer probable cause to be there when he was found to have the illegal gun. Like all of that shouldn't have even happened. Like his original arrest shouldn't have even happened. And we learned that like he got beat up in that incident. The officer stole $30,000 in cash from his cousin that he received from an inheritance. And then like to have this long cascading parole and probation that's been following him and like any minor infraction um, gives him the opportunity to go back to prison for years at a time. It's, just, it's unreasonable, it's unjust, it's excessive, and I'm glad that he's able to bring attention to this. The people who ordinarily don't care about this stuff are now paying attention to it because it's Meek, and Meek's got powerful friends, he's got money, and so like, I tell people all the time, if he couldn't escape this, think about all the people who are from Burke Street, like him, who don't have his money, don't have his access, who couldn't escape. Exactly. It's crazy because when I, when I was reading your work and when I was listening to the music, I was thinking like if you took the things that you do and made it into a person 
it would be him like mm -hmm. like the experiences that you that you rap about and the things that you write about mm -hmm. it, it feels like him like you know just like like everything from like, like i was saying like the the crown's not matching my skin to like um just you know talking about the audacity of dope and and those things just it felt like he was the personification of what you write and rap about man i never thought about it like that but it makes sense though when i first came to the city um i, I was starting to mentor and work with some high school students and i asked him like i said you know i know about black thought i know about will smith and eve and state property and stuff like that but who do y'all listen to from the city and Mika's the first name that they all said. Flamers. <laughs> and that was around that time. Right. And so like I asked them, and so like when I finally started listening to them, I saw why they loved him so much. Like Meek embodies like the ethos of the city. Like what it means to be from Philadelphia, particularly some of its most uh, unsavory parts. Like Meek really embodies the spirit and the tenacity that's there. Um, no doubt. Like, I, my, so my music is trying to capture some of that, particularly this last project. So. I never thought about it, like if it were a person it'd be me but that makes sense that you would say that though. Yeah. all right i got a question for you so again uh talking about education and students and, and young philadelphians what did you think about the school district of philadelphia's uh memo that was recently passed out that gave the uh, urban dictionary uh slang uh editorials out to uh various people that that may need it or may not need it in order for them to translate some of the uh, vernacular that's going on around them uh, while they're in school settings. I'm still catching up to that story, but I mean, on his face, it sounds silly, but like, it's, it's my understanding that it was a student-led initiative. And if that's the case, like I'm behind it, because like, it's helping, it's a student's way of saying, we want to be able to communicate with you, yeah. to be able to understand like us and our peers, how we talk, how we interact. And so like, yeah, so if that's what it is, like I'm with it. But, but if it's something kind of more than that, it's kind of like a corny, like, hey, like this uh, publicity stunt, not with that though. So, so do you do you find that um, you know that type of um, that type of barrier is there, and you think that affects um, you know, especially like. Uh, public schools in philly but like do you, do you think that just affects overall just from yeah from that generation to the the next generations above like is that a is language barrier as as deep as it might seem well was it hard for you because you're being not from the city when you first got there when somebody's like hey this john i mean it's like did, did that did that mess you up or like was it was it a little bit easier for you it took me a second to kind of catch on the Philly slang because some Philly slang, like to me, like uh, it's just not as logical. I mean, not that's no shots at the city, but like sure. on the bean, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> like you like, like I mean, like some Atlanta slang, like you know, you hear it and it's like, okay, like I understand the logic behind it, like how you arrived at saying this word. But, like some of the words I'll be saying, it took me a second to kind of catch on to, but. I mean, honestly, so much of this is just about listening. I mean, like context. Um, yeah, it's about context. It's about listening. Like you listen long enough, and you and you show like a, a desire to learn and to be present with people. Like you can figure stuff like that out. And like people get past actual language barriers where people are speaking different languages all the time. time. And so, like, if you're willing, um, these children will speak to you and communicate what's important to them, and you can learn how to help them.
And then they're also at an age too where some of some of them are impressionable enough to where um, you know they may emulate emulate you to the point where they're they're used to speaking a certain way. Um, out of respect for you, they may actually try to learn, you know, how you're speaking and maybe use that, you know, just, you know, being a role model in that sense. I know, um, you know, the conversations that you have, you, you always like to at least be on a on an even level. And sometimes, um, even if that means just listening a lot more than you're talking, you know, um, you see that happening a lot. So um, individuals like yourself uh, with, you know, with your students that you're having, I'm sure they're listening to you a lot more than they're talking and, classes like this that you that you're teaching um you know are important you know yeah. for them to get that yeah i'm grateful for the opportunity and just to be in front of them um like i tell i tell my students every semester it's a literal answer to prayer like i'd like pray for an opportunity to be able to teach a class like this and it came like years before i expected that it would and so i'm, I'm glad to be able to do it um and to be to have done it for so long and prayerfully to do it um, longer too so yeah i'm, I'm glad for it uh, Phil, uh, we, we definitely, uh, again, just appreciate this this opportunity to speak to Tim here. Uh, did you have one final question uh, for him before we uh, end this episode? Yeah, man, I got I got to hit you with the super generic question, man. What you listening to right now? Oh, wow. Um, that's not generic, man. That's a good question. Um, so mostly I'm listening to, like, these playlists that I put together. So, like, um, I got a playlist series called Minivan Marauders that I listen to. <laughs> Okay. And, like it's basically like some of me and my wife's favorite music that we want to introduce to our children. So like things that like we so like classic music from our era, so like some classic hip hop and soul and RB from our era, some stuff for our parents' generation that like we think is important for them to hear. And then some of our favorite current music. So I'm listening to a lot of that. Uh, there's a guy out of Atlanta, Show Baraka. Uh, he released an album in 2016 called The Narrative. I'm still listening to that. Okay. I listen to a lot of Odyssey, um, The Iceberg. Um, yeah. Uh, what else from him? The the, um, the Good Fight. Good Fight. I, I basically listen to one of those almost every day. The Good Fight was our album of the year in 2016. 16? Yeah, that's, that's 16. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm listening to. Um, I listen to. Uh, there's a guy out of Houston, Toby and Wigway. Oh yeah, yeah. He just he just had a huge moment uh, recently. His first yeah. solo show. Yeah. Um, and his show is unlike just from the pictures and some of the video. And anybody that's uh, had the opportunity to follow his uh, Twisted Sundays. Yeah. Twisted Sundays. Yeah. Uh, his he show. Play football too. Yeah. Yeah. If he's able to get that on the road and get that going, he's gonna be one of the, the better performers in, in hip hop. Superstar, he, I, like, I, love, I love what he's doing, what him and his wife are doing. Yeah. I'm listening to him, this guy out of LA, Propaganda, I really like his work. Yeah. Um, so I've been listening to him. Listen to Big Crit this morning in the gym. Um, Crit's a favorite. Yeah. yeah. It's a mighty long time, it's still one of the better albums, so like, yeah. not get it to do. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I I love his I love his work, man. Like like always I say this every time. Anytime I get a chance, anytime somebody bring up crit like uh two fifteens, like I always I was like, yo, they need to do a remix with Black Thought on there just cause they say two fifteen. That would be that would that would be one of the that needs to happen. That needs to happen. Yeah. Um, also, uh, man, what are you reading, man? What what what, what can we uh, learn from you? What do you, what do you 
What do you think? Yeah, man. Let me hold on. Let me get my let me get yeah. my fill, man. <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Let's get dab, dab it in the ink first. <laughs> uh, what am I? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's um, Barracoon is Zora Nell Hurston. She interviewed yeah. the living survivor of the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, he lived in a town called Africa Town, I believe it's in Alabama or Mississippi. I just started yep. that. Um, I'm reading that. Um, Jared Ball has a book called A Mix What I Like. Uh, it's like social commentary and hip hop. I'm reading that. Uh, I'm reading um, this book called The Lost World of Genesis 1. It kind of talks about how the way people read the first book of the Bible uh, is um, reading things into the text that's not there and that you need to look at it in the way that people in the ancient world would you'll understand the text better um so i'm reading that um my wife got me uh, eyes on the prize it's a a uh, collection of uh, primary sources for like civil rights work um so like like letters and speeches and uh, articles nice. that were written like in the moment uh, so those four books are the things like i'm actively reading right now um, so hopefully I'll, fin- oh, and then I'm also reading Guns, Germs, and Steel. So, so it's five books. So I'm, I'm, hopefully like I'll get through one and then like fly through the rest of them. <laughs> but I'm like in very, Guns, Germs, and Steel is trying to answer the question, why do some societies seemingly advance technologically more than other societies? So like, why are some societies living like they did in the ancient world today? And why are some societies more advanced? And it's, and the author is saying that it's not about one group of people being superior and another group being inferior. Like, let's throw that argument out the window. There's got to be another answer. And so he's looking at like some historical context, regional and environmental conditions that help um, create the answers to those questions. So that's so that's what I'm reading. That sounds like my wheelhouse. And, and shout out to Zora Neale Hurston. That's who uh, my daughter was named after. So he's dope. Yeah. Yeah, we always try to walk away from these conversations with our guests, uh, feeling like we've learned something or we're uh, better people uh, from the time that we spent with you. And uh, I can speak on my brother's behalf and say that we definitely feel that way. And we have an open invitation that we're extending to you uh, to come back and talk to us another time. Man, extended family now. Man, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Y'all are doing great work. Y'all ask really great questions. Y'all get some tough um, conundrums before me, making me decide to <laughs> some stuff. Man, so like, it. it was great. Glad to be here. And the uh, next time I'm at, I'm at the crib, man, I might I might just pop up on the class, man, throw my pop quiz. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'll email you both the um, both the class schedule. If y'all are ever around, y'all are welcome to sure. come. Thank oh, you. That, oh, that's an honor, man. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, yeah, my, my wife used to teach at Temple. I, I sat in on a couple of her classes once upon a time, and I, I, if nothing makes you feel older than being around uh, some college students. Oh yeah, every every day, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, this happened when I was in elementary school, and I'm like, I was a college student. <laughs> when that right, right, exactly. Yeah. I told them like I was a college student. College dropout came out, and they're like, Yeah, I was in the fourth grade. Right. Yeah, man. Yeah. But that's like when we talked to Jade, man. We we had a guest, oh. and we were we we had her. Um, her first ever listen to low in theory yeah and, and she wasn't she wasn't I mean, even my, born. She, was, she was born in like 95. okay no it, it was not i wish you i wish it was even that close it was like she was born in like 98. 
Yeah. She, she just, nah, she's like 21. 22. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, she, she just she turned 22. Like, yeah, she born in like, yeah, 96. Something like that. Yeah. So, but yeah, man, uh, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate uh, your time and all your thoughts and everything. And that, that book list right there, Phil and I uh, are, are avid readers. We love books and love to gain knowledge from them. So, not only will we uh, be looking out for your uh, playlist, we'll also be looking at your reading. Yeah. Oh, and we'll send you a couple too, uh, as far as the playlist. And um, yeah, we got a couple um, mixtapes that we did with our with our brother uh, Rick G's. Oh, yeah, he's a uh, Pusha T's uh, tour DJ and, um, and everything. But he's uh, official heat holder, so yeah, we're, we're working on something new, as a matter of fact. And but we got we got five uh, five mixtapes that we've done. Uh, as far as us curating the music so we'll definitely get you some links to those yeah please do i definitely want to hear that no doubt man um yeah. and again we appreciate you man um i feel smarter already <laughs> i mean who, who better to learn from than, than the actual uh college professor yes you know what i mean yes but uh again uh timothy welbeck uh please you can check him out uh as a matter of fact uh Tim, yeah, tell, tell, them them, where tell, find you. tell the people where they can find you um i got a website timothywelbeck.com that pretty much let you know like uh, everything you want to know about like my uh, my teaching my public speaking my writing my music my law practice and just like more information about me how to contact me all of that's there timothywelbeck.com uh, i'm on social media i'm on twitter i'm on facebook i'm on instagram all of that's just my name timothy welbeck um so you can find me in any of those places and 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 we didn't i i, I feel like i wouldn't be doing my job if i didn't at least actually because you you've done some tremendous work uh uh as far as civil rights um mm -hmm. in the city of philadelphia with your law practice so please just kind of give the people a little bit about about what you do as a lawyer yes yeah, so i'm the civil rights attorney for a council on american islamic relations we call ourselves care for short so i defend the constitutionally protected rights of religious minorities primarily muslims um, in philadelphia and uh, pennsylvania at large also racial minorities um, uh, we fight against gender discrimination we help protect the rights of immigrants um, really uh, we're just trying to make sure that all americans are treated fairly and equally particularly in this current administration where certain groups are marginalized particularly non-white men if you're not a white male you're a, you you are in jeopardy under this administration so we're doing what we can to protect the people in philadelphia um, working with a lot of other organizations where we can teaming up with other people, stuff like that. So that's that's the core of what we do. Dope, man. Thank you again, sir. Well, thank you guys, man. It was a pleasure. Let's All right. it. it will be in touch. Already. Thank you. Y'all have a good night. Are you too? Good thank night. you. So again, Phil, that was Timothy uh, Welbeck. Yes, uh, sir. Gentleman and a scholar. Uh, we, we will make sure that we get this episode out uh, after we handle uh, some business that's, that's currently on the table now. We appreciate uh, everybody that listens to the show. Uh, please let people know that they can not only uh, hear us talk about hip hop, but they can also uh, become uh, aware of such individuals like Timothy, uh, such individuals as... Uh, Mickey Fax, who just recently uh, just just is is tearing up everything that he's touching uh, out here, you know. Um, uh, LA leakers. Yeah, um, you know Torre, uh, who's who actually has a limited edition shirt that he's putting out right now yeah. for his discography. On the way. 
on the way and uh just various other people man it's, it's good just Rick just, and yeah Sky Zoo, who was mentioned um yeah I, I little bro king sense hey hey i hey yeah. <laughs> he yeah. got he got he got some shit man, yeah, man. That's, all I, that's all i can say I'm ready for it but no um Seriously, on that note, everybody, thank you so much for uh, tuning in to this special edition of Tissue in the Tape. And on that note, Filmatic, take us out with the fader. Okay, gang. Um, uh, I gotta say, man, uh, this is this is will end up um, being in effect. Actually, episode one hundred and ninety nine. I know I said last episode that it was one ninety nine. It, um, I was a little ahead of myself. Um. But yeah, this is 199. So that means uh tape 200 is on the way. Uh we got we got something uh planned. Very dope for that. Um might might have a little surprises, some couple treats that uh, go along with tape 200 cuz it's only right that we uh give the people uh something for showing us all the love for 200 plus episodes over the course of 4 plus years. That being said, um shout out to the all the heat holders uh my brother vibe dj rick g's g ring and the homie gandhi man uh love that dude i uh, got a chance to chill with him yeah man congrats to jade for picking the right shade of blue <laughs> yeah we see yeah. you jay yeah, yeah uh, uh dr j um on the way and you know what we do vibe we work for the money, we live for the love, we die for what we believe in. This is Tissue and the Tape. Please. Respect you. you hold this. They do hip-hop better than you. Oh, this is Tissue and the Tape. Like that, Daddy. Like that, baby. Yeah. Get to us on Sundays. Yeah, yeah, off top, get guap, the hood got heavy metal like Slipknot I hustle for my chain like a pit stop, I used to want to grip brain to my wrist lock Oh, now I want a BMW i3, it's little buddy song point like Kyrie My mama taught me never let a sucker chop me, but if he do, draw her blood like an IV I'm a lover, not a fighter dog, but I done earned most stripes in the Titan Claw Low key, fat can't fight it all, but she got a CHL if you tryna brawl All peace, no war, I need bank, like a black boy I'm trying to get my mama out there at four. I just feel like she look better in the black boys. Skirt, skirt. Peel off. I could ride this beat to the wheels off. Head on my pillow only time I feel soft. Pray go with the flow, spit real sauce. Boy, that's straight out the jaw. Ask around my hood, they know who we are. If they don't, then they probably a mark. I might be with Jeff up at Emmett Park. In the SWAT or the West. Every bar I spit is for people to press. I need every penny, won't settle for less. Trash on the radio, really keep me abreast. Of what the current thought for manipulation is in my community. Astronomical coonery, fancy cars and jewelry don't influence me. I think every hood need an annuity, or at least a solid year of jubilee. That's why I spit tips like gratuity in hopes to slow the rate of eulogies. Hell, I wish it was two of me. Truthfully, every label needs some scrutiny. Cause musically, they foolishly push buffoonery into the schools and we let them. 
I tell countless people that I don't rap for pesos My partners tell me that I need chips and queso They see the flow is fuego So Alfredo is what they think I'm after with the Draco Get it how you live, it's how the phrase go I tell them that I move when Yahweh say so Hopefully they all attain a halo Jeff is really about to go to Legos I'm trying to get young Jern up on the payroll If I'm Aristotle, he is Plato I do this for the culture like I'm Quavo Push it, push it just like OG Mako But don't forget to slow it down and ponder Why every hood be on divided conquest Where we all can ball, Sinead O'Connor Shout out Migos for bad and bullshit In 05, I was bagging groupies I was so live, just a savage student I had so ties with the baddest hoochies Look, please excuse me, I get mesmerized When I think about just how far I came Elohim schooled me, I got exercised All them demons died, now the flow of the flame I'm gone